0: Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 12. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray this morning that you might speak to us by your word, through your word. Father, we pray that you might challenge us. We pray that you might change us and make us more and more into the likeness of God. Christ And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every one of us at some point in time, we have either had the experience or we will have the experience. If you're a follower of Christ, you've had it or will have it. And that's when you reach a point where you say, you know what? I just don't know if everything I'm going through is worth it. I'm tired. I just want to quit the race. I'm. I'm. I don't see how this is making any difference. So I'm just. I just want to quit. Or in the common parlance of the day, the juice is is uh, not worth the squeeze. We we say, "Well, I, I'm. I'm trying so hard. I'm. I'm working so hard. I'm. I'm trying to run this race of faith for those of us who are followers of Christ." But sometimes it's just so difficult. And this is one of those times, because some of you are there. Some of you are, are at that place where you've been, you've been running and the path has gotten rocky or the way has gotten dark and you have either sat down on the side of the course or you are tempted to just sit down on a rock and say, you know what? I'm just going to sit. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to quit moving forward. It's just not worth it. I'm tired. I don't see how it makes any difference. Well, it's in those types of moments, whether you're in the middle of one or whether one is on the horizon for you, it's in those types of moments that we need to reclaim endurance for our race. We need to reclaim why are we running this race of faith to begin with? Why does it matter? Who started the race? Who keeps us in the race? For whom are we running the race. And in this passage we're looking at today in Philippians chapter three, Paul uses that metaphor of a race that we're running, of an athlete competing. And he takes that and he uses that in such a way to encourage us to keep moving forward. So you find in Philippians chapter three, verse 12, Paul starts out and he, he starts out and says, not that I've already obtained this, Well, what's the, this Well, if you look back at the preceding verses, you find that Paul has been writing about knowing Christ and being conformed to the likeness of Christ, being like Jesus, Christ's likeness. That's what Paul is talking about. And he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. If we're going to endure, we must first honestly evaluate our position. You need to know what your position is. You need to know who you are in Christ. Paul says, I haven't already obtained it. I'm not perfect yet. God's still working on me. Remember that song? Maybe if you grew up in church, you heard that you, you sang that song as a child. God's still working on me. And we are, we are still works in progress. But the idea is there is supposed to be a progress There's supposed to be movement forward. There's supposed to be movement toward Christ likeness. And we find that whenever Paul writes this, he says, I'm not there yet. It's an honest evaluation. He says, I'm not there. I know that I am not fully there yet, but yet I am moving in that direction. I talked to a guy one time. Some of you have heard the story. I talked to a gentleman uh, up in Knoxville one time and he looked at me and he said, I've reached the point. I said, what point? He said, I'm not growing anymore because I have reached the point that Paul couldn't reach. I said, you, you know, you're not there. He said, yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. He said, how do you know I'm not there? I said, because you think you have arrived. That's clear evidence that you're not there. If you start thinking you have arrived, can I just tell you, you haven't. Can I tell you when you arrive? When you die as a follower of Christ and you are made perfect in the presence of God. That's when it's finished. That's when you are fully like Christ. None of us will be fully like Christ here on this side of eternity. None of us. We're all still works in progress. So you honestly evaluate your position, but look at who put him in this position. Look at the rest of verse 12, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, Christ has made me his own. And so therefore I'm pressing on to make it my own. Now, what is Paul talking about there? Now, some have said what Paul is talking about is Jesus saves him, but Paul has to keep himself saved. No, that's not the idea. The idea is that Paul has been saved by Christ. And now Paul does not work for salvation. He does not work to keep his salvation. He works, as we say, not for salvation, but from salvation. The things that he does is evidence of who he is. The way that he lives his life out now is an an expression of the fact that he is in Christ. That's the idea that we find. Because Paul says, God got a hold of me. Where did that happen? On the road to Damascus. Paul is on his way to persecute Christians. Breathing out curses and threats. And he is on his way to do his best to stop this progress of this fledgling church. And what happens? God strikes him. God strikes him blind. Strikes him down. And then God gets a hold of him. And so Paul comes to an understanding of who this Christ is. That's where God took hold of Paul. In fact, the the phrase that's used here whenever he says Christ Jesus has made me his own, it's a word that means to catch something for yourself and to bring it down. It's the idea, if you will, of tackling someone. You grab hold of it and you take it down and it's yours. He says, Jesus tackled me. Jesus got a hold of me and took me down. And because I am now his, I am pursuing christ-likeness so that i can lay hold of that i'm willing to put aside anything i'm willing to lay aside anything i'm willing to die to self to exert that effort to die to self not in order to maintain it but in order to pursue the reason that jesus got a hold of me paul has an honest evaluation of his position he knows who he is in christ listen to second thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 Paul writes, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, the church church at Thessalonica, brothers beloved by God, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. To this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says the reason that God called you, the reason that he saves you was so that you could obtain the glory that is found in christ jesus so that you could be made like christ That's an honest evaluation of our position a little earlier in the book of philippians paul writes to the the church and we're looking at philippians 2 or philippians 3 if you go back one chapter to philippians chapter 2 verse 12 paul writes that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling now so many times people will just leave off with verse 12 They'll say, you see, it's all on us. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's all on us. God saves us. And then God says, now it's up to you. Can I just tell you what those people who say that sort of thing do? They are taking things out of context. Because if you just read verse 13, Paul writes, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says, you work out your salvation But you know who gives you the want to? God. You know who gives you the power to work for him? Not not from salvation, not for salvation. Do you know who does that? God. Paul says it's God. God got a hold of Paul. And God so radically transformed Paul. And Paul understands the reason that God got a hold of him was to make him like his son. And Paul understands that. Whenever you're running your race of faith, you need to understand the reason that you are where you are, your position is contingent upon the God who saved you. The God, get this, who put you in the race to begin with. God's the one who started your race. God did that. God's the one who reached down to us. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have to honestly evaluate our position. Whenever we get tired and we get worn out, we need to remember Jesus got a hold of me for a reason. He got a hold of me for a purpose. He has a plan. He has a plan for you. So if you're sitting there on a rock on the side of the path because you say things have just gotten too tough, it's too much of an upward course, it's too rough, it's too dark, can I tell you? You need to understand who you are. You need to understand your position in Christ. But Paul doesn't just leave it with that. In and of itself, that would be great. But notice what Paul says in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's just reiterating what he just said. I haven't arrived yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, he goes on in verse 14, that he presses on. So you need to honestly evaluate your position. You also need to carefully eliminate your distractions. There are distractions when we're running our race of faith. There are things that come along the race course that want to detour us, things that want to distract us from our running, things that take, want to take our, wants to take our focus off of what God wants us to focus upon. Notice what Paul says. I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul understood the words of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We don't look back over our shoulder. Now, some of you may be of the age that you've actually plowed with an old school plow. I remember as a a kid, my dad found this old single trace plow in our barn. And he said, son, you need to understand what it means when we talk about plowing. He said, because I grew up working behind a couple of mules with this particular plow. And I said, that's okay. I can imagine. He said, no, 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 you need to experience it. So he took me down in the pasture. He took a chain, put it around the, the hitch on the tractor and then hitched that to that old single trace plow. And he said, you know, now, son, I mean, this is just going to be like if, you know, one mule was pulling you. I said, no, daddy, that's a tractor. That's not a mule. He said, well, that's, that's the idea. So we got out there just out there in the pasture and he, he put it down in low gear and just let it creep along. And I was about eight years old. And he said, now get out there and just bust it up. Well, that's not pleasant. Those of you who have used old plow, you know, that's not pleasant. But one thing that he taught me was this. He said, you have to keep your eyes straight ahead when you're plowing. He said, cause you can't look back. So I started looking back because he told me not to look back. I started looking back to see my progress. Do you know what happened? I started veering off to one side or I'd veer off to the other side. Because if you're looking back when you're using a plow, you can't plow a straight furrow. It doesn't happen. And Jesus says, if you take, put your hand to the plow, and if you say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, you need to look straight ahead. You need to look at the direction that you're going. You don't need to look back over your shoulder because you can't plow a straight furrow if you're looking back over your shoulder, just as you can't drive focused on your rearview mirror. It's good to glance, but that's not the way you drive your vehicle. So Jesus says that no one who looks over his shoulder is fit for the kingdom of heaven you have to focus you have to look ahead Paul is saying here in Philippians three thirteen that we are to eliminate our distractions look notice what he says he says one thing I do forgetting what lies behind straining forward to what lies ahead he's forgetting what lies behind he's straining forward to what lies ahead what lies behind well can I just tell you in your past just like my past there are some good things and there are some negative things There are some things that if we aren't careful, we will take them because they are positive and we will idolize them and we will lift them up to a place of prominence they don't deserve. Or there are things that are so negative that if we dwell on them, we'll get dragged down into the depths with them. So what's what's in Paul's past? Are there positive things? For certain, there are positive things in Paul's past. Are there negative things? Are you kidding? Paul's persecuting the church. Think about the number of families he broke apart whenever he was persecuting the church think about the number of families and and christians who cried out as he was watching them being stoned or watching them being killed because of their faith paul's got some negative things paul says but listen i'm forgetting those things that lie behind i'm pressing forward to what lies ahead i'm eliminating my distractions what tends to distract you on your race of faith as you're moving forward for christ what tends to distract you is it something of the world is it your own personal selfish desires is it some theological error that you tend to wander off into? What is it that distracts you from running your race most cleanly and fully and focused? Paul says we have to eliminate our distractions. You find this one thing. I was, I was looking in Psalm 27. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 27, 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The psalmist reduces his goal down to one thing, being in the presence of God. It's the same thing Paul is talking about, except now instead of being in the temple to be in the presence of God, Paul is saying, I want the presence of God to so permeate my life. I want the Holy Spirit to so influence me and impact me that I am transformed more and more and more into the likeness of Christ. It's the New Testament way of saying what the psalmist is writing in Psalm 27. It's the same idea. It's the presence of God dwelling in the midst of the presence of God. Except in the New Testament, we find the presence of God dwelling within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. We carefully eliminate our distractions. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus has just listed some things that he says that the world goes after the worldly things the world goes after, and things that we need. We need food. We need to be clothed. We need to be taken care of. We need our basic needs met for survival. And Jesus says, my father already knows those things. He knows you need them. He feeds the birds. He's going to feed you. You're worth more than the birds. And then he goes on to say, but your goal should be to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God's going to take care of all the other stuff. You seek God first. You eliminate the distractions and you seek God's will. You seek to run hard after God. You pursue him, Christ's likeness in your race of faith. And God is going to take care of the other stuff. But Paul doesn't end there. There's something else we need to do. We need to clearly understand our motivation. Look what he says in verse 14. This is a continuation of verse 13. He he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There are a lot of prepositional phrases there stacked on top of each other. He presses toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You have to clearly understand your motivation. What's your motivation in running? Well, my motivation in running is so uh, the people around me will accept me and adore me. No, that's not a goal. That's not a good enough goal. Well, my goal is for some sort of power. No, it's not a good enough goal. Well, my goal is to pursue God so that people will look at me and they will think, oh, well, how how spiritual that person is. No, that's not what Paul says. The reason that we pursue our motivation for pursuit is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the goal. That's the prize. What do we run after? we run after not a what, but a who. We run toward Christ. We pursue Christ-likeness. What does that look like? It means that we lay aside anything that would hinder us from running. You've heard me say before, it's not a matter of we need to do better. It's a matter of dying better. We die to self. We lay down our own expectations, our own opinions, our own preferences, our own desires. And we run after the the desires of God. We run after the purposes and the plan of God himself. He says, I press on. There's There's some effort exerted there. He's agonizing over this. Have you ever agonized over your sin? Have you ever agonized over those things that distract you? Have you ever said, oh God, God, I just want you. I just, I don't want these things to stand in the way. We were talking in my small group earlier this week we're saying there are those times we were, we were sharing about how there are those times that that we are pursuing christ and we think oh wow i've reached this new place god's word seems so alive to me i'm so close to god in this moment i just that just i'm 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 seeing what he's saying. I understand this this truth of his word. I'm loving him so deeply. And then right on the heels of that, as we're gazing upon the glory of God and the glory of Christ, then we kind of look at ourselves and we go, oh, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, God, there's so much you need to do to work in me. God, you need to change me. Oh God, there's some things that I I didn't see as clearly beforehand. But now that I see you more clearly, I see my own place more clearly. I see my own sin more clearly. See, that's the thing. The more clearly we see God, the more clearly we will see our sin. Because we see God in the light of his holiness, in the light of his goodness, in the light of his righteousness. And then we see ourselves and we say, Oh God, please changed me in this area. This area that I may have been blind to before God changed me because in the light of the revelation of who you are, I see myself even more clearly. God do a work in me. And then God does. And then as time goes on, we have another one of those times where we say, God, I'm so close to you. And then we look at ourselves and we say, oh God, I didn't even see this part of me. God changed this part of me. And it's a continual daily dying to self. And it's such a It's a beautiful thing. It's a hard thing, but it's a beautiful thing because with each time we die to self, God makes us more and more in the likeness of his son as we are united with him. And so we find that we need to understand what is our motivation. Our motivation is Jesus. That's it. To be made like Christ. That's our motivation. That is the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to Romans chapter eight, verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are to be conformed to the image of his son. We are to be made like Jesus. That's the whole point. What's the, you say, what's the whole point of it? To be made like Christ. That's it. To be made like Jesus. That is the goal. That is what keeps us running. That we are to be made like Christ. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Paul continuing this idea of the race. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I find myself should be disqualified. Paul says, I'm running this race and you're running a race if you're in Christ. And he says, I'm not just running aimlessly. He says, whenever someone runs a race, they run it to obtain a perishable wreath or a perishable crown. The idea was whenever you won a race in ancient times, you would be given a crown of laurel leaves. And that crown of laurel leaves, you would wear it around your head and it would be a symbol of your victory. But there's only, a, there's only one problem with a crown of laurel leaves. They would make it out of fresh laurel And what would happen over time? Well, it would die because you have just cut it from a a living plant. So the leaves would turn brown, they would wither, it would get dry, the leaves would fall off, you'd be left with some some twigs essentially. This is why sometimes you hear uh, the phrase used that comes from that time when people are resting on their laurels. It means that they are looking to some victory in the past thinking that that's going to give them victory in the present. Can I just tell you, past victory does not ensure future success. Christ does. That's who ensures future success. Jesus. We look to Jesus. We depend upon Jesus. We follow Jesus. We don't bank on our past success, our past victory. No, that's wonderful that we've had a past victory, but that's not what we depend upon. And Paul says, I'm not running to obtain a crown that's going to fade, that's going to perish, that's going to wither and die and rot. No, he says, I'm running for an imperishable crown. I'm running for a glorious crown. I'm running for one that will last forever. And that crown is the glory of God found in Christ's likeness, being made like Jesus. And notice what he says in verse 26. He says, I don't run aimlessly. He says, I'm not not competing as one who is beating the air. It's the idea of a shadow boxer. He says, I'm not just shadow boxing here. He says, but I discipline my body. The word discipline there comes from a word literally that means to punch someone under the eye. That's what it means. To give his fleshly, earthly, sinful desires a black eye. To knock them out. That's the idea. That's exactly what Paul is saying. That we are to discipline ourselves, that our sinful desires that run contrary to running our race for Christ, we should give them a black eye. Now, I don't mean that you literally go around punching yourself in the face. That would not be helpful to anybody, and somebody would, well, somebody would probably try to get you some help if you're going around punching yourself in the face. You don't do that. But he's saying these sinful desires, we bring them under control by the power of God, by the power of Christ. And who is doing the work? Remember, God is. Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The work that God started in you, he will bring it, bring it to completion. He will finish what he started. Jesus started that work in you. He got a hold of you. He will finish that work in you. So you can trust that. You can continue to run. You can continue to move forward. Yeah, but I don't know where that path's going to lead. It's okay. Jesus does. Yeah, but I don't know how. It may get difficult. It will get difficult. Jesus said it's going to be difficult. You keep running. But it may get dark. You keep running. Jesus did not leave you by yourself to run this race of faith. Jesus is running with you. Jesus is in you, empowering you to run. And Jesus will bring the work that he started in you to completion. So what's our responsibility to trust him, to obey him, to follow him, to die to self. That is our responsibility. You stay in the race. You keep running. You don't stop. Some of you know, uh, my, my wife, Rebecca, she is big runner. And some of you've heard the story. I, I went with her one time and she was going to run the Memphis marathon. She was going to run a half marathon that day. And I remember I, I walked to the, I walked to the, the, The finish line it was great because she had a she has a a chip inside of her running bib inside of her number and I had the app downloaded and I could track where she was so I could get to a certain corner and cheer her on and then I would go find something to eat (laughs) and that's what I did all morning long I would go and I'm like yeah you go cupcake time you run, you run. Go to the Peabody. Give me one of those little miniature key lime pies they have. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. You keep running. It's Memphis. There's some barbecue somewhere around here. So I had eaten. She was running her race. So I went and timed it out so I could be at the finish line. So I'm standing there at the finish line and people start coming in. And they start running across that finish line. Some of them aren't running across the finish line. Some of them were stumbling across the finish line there's this one guy and and, and there's the music is playing and because the announcer is looking at the same app he can tell the names of the people who are running in even without seeing them he can say rounding this corner down here is so-and-so and And he's running with a time of this running rounding that corner coming into the stretch is so-and-so and she's she's breaking her own personal record and all these things and the music is playing and everybody's cheering and I'm thinking Wow, this is exciting. Maybe I would want to do this one day. And then a guy came running through and threw up on himself. I was like, well, maybe not. I don't want to do anything that makes me throw up on myself. And then this other guy's running. And I mean, he is running. And I'm like, wow, this guy looks like he's about to finish strong. And he just falls over in a heap. And they drag him up and put him in a wheelchair and hoist him out. And I was like, oh. I don't think I want to be running this. And people are coming in. And I mean, and there's a look of relief on their faces. But there's also this look of great exertion and pain and exhaustion. And I'm sitting there looking at these people. And we were driving back. And I I told Rebecca, I said, are these people throwing up on themselves and collapsing and crawling on their elbows like army crawling over the, the finish line? And she said, yeah. And I said, man, that's just rough. And then it hit me. But they finished the race. They got across that finish line. Yeah, they threw up on themselves. Yeah, they had to cart them off to the medical tent. Yeah, they had to do all that. But they finished the race. I'm sitting here outside of the race, my stomach full of barbecue and key lime pie, looking at these people thinking, I wouldn't do that. But you know what? They ran the race. They finished the race. They got a prize. They got a medal. I didn't get a medal for eating barbecue. I wasn't in the race. Listen, so many times we have people. You're going to have people. You're going to have people within your family. You're going to have people even within the church. You're going to tell you like, oh, I don't like the way you're running the race. And do you know what? Do you know what will happen? Their voice is only going to be continually clear if you stop to listen. You keep running and their voice is going to go real faint and real distant because they have sat down. And they're not running their race. You just keep running your race. You keep moving forward. That's why. That's why we're to do that. And then as time goes on, as we're running our race, that will show that we are mature. Look at the rest of this passage. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. Paul says, if you want to show that you are mature, think like I've just explained. You should be thinking, set your mind on these things. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 16, before we go back to verse 15, only let us hold true to what we have attained. The idea is what we know, what we have attained, the truth that we have comprehended and got a hold of, let us run, let us exercise obedience in those areas. Someone once asked, I think it was Billy Graham, do you ever have a problem with the things in the bible that you can't understand he said i have hard enough time under, uh, living by the things that i do understand so the idea is this whenever we're running our race we need to understand that what we don't know doesn't keep us from doing what we do know if we say yeah well i don't know about that yeah but what do you know what truth do you know run run with that truth and then God will mature you and he will entrust you with more understanding and more revelation of who he is. So then you can run even more dear and even more clear. So, but we need to humbly demonstrate our maturity. Look at verse 15 again. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. We are to grow. We are to mature. We are to be transformed in the likeness of Christ. Well, what does that look like? real-time boots on the ground. What does that look like? Well, I think Second Peter gives us a good idea. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 5. Peter writes, for this very reason, make every effort. There it is again. There's some effort on our part, not to get saved or remain saved, but to work from salvation, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So he lists some things. Now it's not an exhaustive list, but he lists some things and says, if you're maturing, these are the things that we're going to see in your life. You think about the fruit of the spirit. These are the things that we will see. And notice what Peter writes, verse 8 of of 2 Peter 1, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if you're following Christ, if you are maturing, you're going to show evidence of these things. And if you're showing evidence of those things, that's evidence that you're following Christ and you're not going to be immature. You're not going to be unfruitful. You're going to produce fruit. People are going to see a demonstration of your maturity. Listen to John fifteen eight, The words of Jesus, By this my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You've heard me say it before. The fruit is proof of the root. The fruit that you bear is proof of whom you are rooted in. If you're rooted in Christ, you will bear fruit. But if you're not rooted in Christ, you don't bear fruit. Because the fruit is the proof of the root. And so you have to understand that we are to demonstrate our maturity. We're to demonstrate it humbly, recognizing that God is doing this work in us. Colossians 128, Paul writes, him we proclaim, that's Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Notice what Paul says back in Philippians 3, verse 15. He says, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you aren't you glad that it's not dependent upon us to convince someone of what God wants to do with them? I am so glad that it's not dependent upon me. I, I, There've been times in my life that I thought, if I could just word it a certain way, if I could just, if I could just get, if I could just get an emotional response from that person, if I could just explain it so logically, then maybe, maybe, maybe they would just say, Oh, they would have a moment. Oh, God's got to get a hold of them. God's got to grab hold of them and take them down. God needs to be doing a work there. There was a, a, a gentleman one time, his name was, uh, and I think I've shared this before, but at the last church where I served, there was a gentleman by the name of Audley. He's passed on now, but this, this, he was a, one of the older deacons and I went with him one time and we went to, to visit Sunday morning. We'd go visit Sunday morning after Sunday morning service sometimes. And, I remember we went and there was this person who had indicated they didn't know Christ and wanted to talk with someone. So we showed up, drove across town uh, in a rainstorm, showed up at the person's house. And uh, it was a little 10-year-old boy. And uh, we knocked on the door and the mother was sitting on the couch. She didn't even turn around. We knocked on the screen door and she said, what do you want? We said, well, we're here to talk so-and-so. And she yells out the kid's name and the kid walks out on the front porch with us. And we sat down and Brother Audley started talking to him. Audley started sharing and he just he had a real kind voice and he says can I just tell you about the the history and the old testament and I'm thinking Audley this is not where you need to start with a 10 year old but Audley starts talking and he starts going through all this stuff and I'm trying to follow Audley and I don't even understand where he's going with it and then he gets down toward the end of his discussion and the end of his kind of his monologue. And he, he looks at the boy and he says, and that brings us to Jesus. And he kind of explained Jesus and how Jesus came and Jesus came to die for our sins. And we're enemies of Christ and we're in need of salvation. And he just said, is that something you would like to do today? And this 10 year old said, y'all you know, been thinking about that for the last couple of weeks. And I'm glad you explained all that. Now it makes perfect sense to me. Yes, I would like to. And I looked at me and said, you want to, you want to tell him how you can know Jesus. And I'm just sitting there with my mouth open. And I said, sure. So I led this kid to Christ. We got in the car and I said, Alderley, what was that about? He said, what do you mean? I said, what was that about? You start with the history of the Jewish nation. You're going, oh, this is a 10 year old kid. You're going, what was that all about? And then the kid, the kid's like, yes, I've been thinking about that for two weeks. I mean, the kid's been wondering for two weeks about the origin of the Jewish nation. And then here you are just saying all this. And this kid's like, yes, 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 yes. Following along with you. And now this kid comes to Jesus and all he looks at me and he goes you don't know who god's working on we don't know what god is doing in somebody he said and that's just evidence it wasn't me god just really impressed upon me i just need to tell the kid about this so i did and i said i just blows my mind but can i tell you that's the way god works it's not about us. It's not about our wisdom. It's not about our intelligence. It's not about our, our rhetorical skills. It's not about our persuasion. It's not about tugging the right heartstrings. Listen, if you can talk someone into it, someone else can talk them out of it. We need to understand that God is the one who does it and God is the one who gets a hold of us and he matures us. God will reveal that also to you if you think otherwise. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, Paul writes, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking. Be mature. That's what God wants to do in each one of us. Each one of us who is a follower of Christ, God wants to mature us more and more and more into the likeness of his son. Now, I know some of you are at a point where you say, I'm just ready to give up. It ain't worth it. It is worth it. I'm tired. Yep. Yep. I understand. But but God is with you in the person of Jesus, living within you. Yeah, but I don't know. I, 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 there's just so many things happening. It's just so hard. Yes, yes, yes. It is hard. That, re- remember, uh, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do, do, you do realize it is upward. Okay. Which means it should be no surprise that it feels like it's uphill all the time. Because it is. It's an upward call, but that's okay because Jesus is with us. I mean, Golgotha was up on a hill. I mean, it is a hill. It is a climb. That's okay. That's okay. That's by design because when you you take those steps of faith and you're running that race of faith and you do glance back to see where you came from, You won't be able to pat yourself on the back and say, wow, look at how much I've done. You look back and you say, God only by your grace. God only by your power. God only out of your love. God only because there's an upward call and that goal is the prize. And the prize is to become like your son. If you're thinking about giving up or if you've sat down on the edge of your race course. Can I just tell you, get up. God will give you the power. You get up. You keep running. You keep running. You run at your workplace tomorrow. You keep running. You run in the classroom tomorrow. You keep running. You run alongside those family members that are just giving you fits. You keep running. You keep running no matter what doubt you may have, no matter what fear you may have of the future. If you are in Christ and you are assured of that, he has given you the power to keep running. He has given you the power to endure to the end. You'll endure to the end. He will finish what he started in you. He will. That is how we reclaim endurance for our race. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. God, we give you thanks. You're the one who started, for those of us who are in Christ, you started that race. You pulled the trigger on the start gun. Father, and you empower us to run. You don't just point in a direction and tell us to run. You run with us. Holy Spirit living within each one of us who are followers of Christ, empowering us to continue to run. God, there may be some people here today, they've never set foot on that race course. They've never gotten into the race to begin with. They're they're sitting... Well, actually, no. No one's sitting in that case. I guess we're all running some race. Well, they're running a race for themselves. They're running a race for the world. They're running a race for all manner of other things. Father, I pray that you would give them the understanding to know that the race they're running, if they're running it for anything other than Jesus, if they're running it for self, for the world, due to sin that that race course only leads in one direction it leads to an eternity away from god in hell father that's where that's the race course every single one of us was on till you get a hold of us till you take us as your own that's where we're all running none of us are exempt we are all sinners in need of a savior for all of sin and fall short of the glory of god and because of our sin, the penalty, the wages of sin, your word tells us, is death. Both physical death, but also spiritual death. Being away from you for all eternity. And Father, we recognize that Jesus came and he ran his race perfectly. And that race pointed toward an occupied cross and an unoccupied tomb. And Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. And he died a death on the cross for us in our place and was buried and rose again, showing that that sacrifice was accepted by you, Lord God. And if we come to Christ in faith, confessing him as Lord, as master of our lives, we surrender our lives to him, we ask for forgiveness, we turn from sin and self and turn toward our Savior alone. We will be saved. Lord God, I pray that today would be the day that for some you would start them on that race of faith, that by faith they would say yes to Jesus. Father, there's many people here who are struggling on that racetrack. They're struggling on that race course. It's gotten rugged. It's gotten steeper. It's gotten darker. And they're tempted to stop. Father, I pray that today, by your word, that you will give them the encouragement to continue to run. And if they can't run right now, they just walk. And if they're having a hard time walking, that they just, they just shuffle. Father, there's many people that cross those finish lines limping. But Father God, they cross the finish line. Father, we're thankful for the promise that you will complete the work that you began in us. So Father, I pray that we would cling to that truth and live by that truth as we run our race for you looking forward to the day that we will cross the finish line and we will be made perfectly like Jesus. And we will see him as he is. Father, we look forward to that glorious day. But in the meantime, Lord God, give us the strength, empower us to continue to run our races. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.